All right. Here we go. Quiet. Quiet. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of yesterday and today, and try to make it all make some sense. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. No. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. Oh, yeah. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online editor-in-chief, Rich Drees. Ladies and gentlemen, hey. give up a hand. Well, really. We're if, back. If somebody's sitting there listening to a podcast and they start applauding, that's going to seem weird. <laughs> Especially if they're, like, driving or at the gym working out or... Well, yeah, but, I mean, if they're just sitting in a room, I mean, like, That's... yeah, like, yeah, we're back! Okay, okay. I was going to say... I'll that applaud kinda... for all of us. Okay, thank you. Take a bow, right? All right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anywho. Hi, guys, we're back! Yes, we are. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, we... Just had some scheduling issues on our end trying to get together, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the funny part is, is this is the hibernation period, but it's also the time when us, meaning me, mm-hmm. actor, uh, this is when we beat the streets for what uh, we're going to be doing down the line in the future. That's true. It's audition season. It's it's audition season in Los Angeles right now, too, for Pilots. pilots. Pilot season. I yep. saw a frightening statistic this oh. week. Um, a couple of years ago, there used to be up to upwards of a hundred pilots being produced. Mm-hmm. Lots of work, right? Yeah. Lots of choices for all the networks to, you know, maybe add a show here or there, or whatever. I, I read somewhere it's like down to like literally like single digits. What? Which doesn't seem right. In the specifics, but seems right in generalities that streaming services are cutting back on ordering new programs. Um, You had a birth of streaming services in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So obviously they were looking at a lot of pilots for their own original programming. And now that those programs are in some ways established, like the various Star Trek features on um, Paramount Plus, things like that. They're ratcheting back their buying of new pilots because they think they're kind of set for right now, possibly. Also, stream all all the streamers have been kind of cutting back on how much they're um, spending on programming too, because they realize it's it's not a financial arms race. We can't outspend the other guy to win. Yeah. Um, and I think this is going to be the start of a big correction that we're going to see in, um. The streaming sphere over the next couple of years. I'm th- we're already looking at possible um, mergers between a couple of uh, streamers. We're looking at some streamers getting together to form like another streamer just for sports. I think we're going to be in a weird state of transition for the next couple of years on all of this. And unfortunately, that's going to affect a lot of people who are making their living there. But for us who are watching it, mergers mean that we could probably cut back on how much we're spending on it. That would be nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> especially because they're cutting down on password sharing now, too. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. I've, I not, finally. Not, uh, not that we would know anything about password sharing. Everyone knows about password sharing. We don't I mean, have to be coy about it. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, until the past couple of years, it wasn't that big of an issue you'd mm-hmm. share it with you know your brother your wife your kids possibly um your brother's kids like yeah yeah, yeah it was just kind of mm-hmm. we'll we'll cover one you cover another and we all just enjoy the and reap the benefits of it mm-hmm. like for example my mom is 67 years old and does not you until six months ago had never had a uh, smartphone, internet. She can't work a computer. But I finally, we finally got her set up with the phone and the internet part. And she <laughs> is learning how to work the streaming services. Um, yeah, of course I'm going to let her use my streaming service. Mm-hmm. 
She can barely afford what she has now, let alone learn how to use them all. Like, she's not going to go out of her way to blow money on something she's never going to use. But, uh, no, like, her fire stick has been, has been really a useful tool for her. I went over the other day and we sat and we watched the first two episodes of Bridgerton. She's hooked. Uh, <laughs> It was it was good mother daughter time. But That's what, nice. I, what nice. I'm trying to say is it's it's a it was a useful tool to help out those who are a little less fortunate or are not going to go out of their way because it's just not something that they see as a necessity mm-hmm. in their lives. Understandable. Um, but it can still make them part of the conversation. Uh, I, I'm finding this a lot with the older generation. They don't they still don't trust technology. They don't mm-hmm. trust smartphones they don't trust uh online banking they don't trust you know the internet and rightfully so if you don't understand how scams work and stuff like that you are potential to be taken advantage yeah um and i think it's the same with streaming it's it's just another thing that they have to deal with that the world is changing around them as they get older and they're getting left behind so people are having conversations about pop culture and they they can't even have a conversation back because they don't know what the hell you're talking about. True. Why are we doing that to people? So, yeah, password sharing was a thing for a lot of people. And I don't blame them for it. Mm-hmm. Granted, the companies did. Yes. Uh, um, so they've started the cracking down on that and – yeah, merging I, I, it might be a useful tool. It, it's funny because remember a couple years back, Netflix had that whole um, campaign around Valentine's Day where love is sharing your password with somebody. Yeah. And now they're the ones leading the charge against it. Uh, I think it was a case of, well, password sharing is okay because it kind of gets more people uh, viewing our service. And then when they realized they're hooked, uh, now you got to yeah, pay for it. Yeah. First hit's free, baby. Um, yeah. It's, that's, it's kind of annoying. Um, but I'm hoping that the mergers might help make things a little bit more accessible to people. Uh, yes, yes. And um, unfortunately, though, I think we're still going to see things like what's been happening with uh, Coyote versus Acme. Um, a lot of things that were on Warner's um, HBO Max, now known as Max, disappearing. Uh, you know, several animated shows. Um, we're going to, I think we're still going to see the disappearing of product. I don't want to call it product of various things as these companies kind of merge into one or two or three, you know, larger entities, which is a shame too, because that affects the people who made them fans of those things. People who are receiving royalties from it. Um, no, I, I understand that completely. In fact, uh, I, I had recently been recommended a show on Netflix called Babylon Berlin. It's from a German distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a German show and I started watching it. I really love it, but it's leaving Netflix at the end of the month. They only had the first three seasons on there that they had pulled from that distributor. And now they're going to get rid of it. It doesn't look like it's going anywhere else to any other streaming services. There is a fourth season. And they the uh, the German distributor just renewed it for a fifth season. How are we going to be able to watch that? Mm-hmm. How are we going to be able to follow our favorite shows? Uh, Westworld, after that got canceled um, unceremoniously Ugh. by Max was pulled off their service within a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because they were quickly shifting to um, license it out to somebody else to to show, which... I don't know where that ended up then. I'm not sure where it did either. And uh, frankly, if I was a programmer at another service and they and HBO came to me and said, hey, we'd love to have you, you know, show one of our shows. And I'd be like, great, HBO stuff. That's, you know, classy stuff. That has a certain patina about it. And then they go, it's the one we just canceled. And I was like, well, if you don't have the um, like you can the, rent the it. confidence in the in the TV show for me, you know, for to stay on your s- service, why would you think I would want it then? 
Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it was a dumb boneheaded move to, you know, immediately try to, you know, shop it out elsewhere. And then there were also the streaming services who had licensed out their product and then they went, no, we're going to pull it back because we're starting our own streaming service. Mm-hmm. Dumb move. I Would- mean, I understand how you want to keep a hold of IP, but at the exact same time, um, like, for example, one of my sh- favorite shows, Penny Dreadful, mm-hmm. cancel- canceled slash ended. They did give it time to wrap up after three seasons. And um, that was done by Showtime. I watched it over on Netflix, usually within about three or four months after it aired and finished over there it would drop on the netflix so i'd be able to catch it and it was there for years you remember how heartbroken i was when netflix said we're you know after what six it being on the service for six seven years Mm -hmm. oh it's it's leaving why because showtime wanted to start up their streaming service yes and now what happened to showtime streaming service (laughs) it got eaten by paramount yep that's (laughs) And that's just the nature of things. And and it is going to irritate consumers, not just, you know, savvy consumers like you and myself, you know, where we kind of know where things are moving around. You know, just your average Joe Blow, I think, is going to tune into some, you know, to watch something on one service and find it's not there anymore. Yeah. And they go, well, shit, where, you know, do I have to go subscribe to something else now? Do I have to, you know, and they get frustrated and they might just, you know, throw up their hands and say, man, there's other things to watch. It's. They're not going to chase it. Yeah, they'll exactly. Chase, they'll chase their favorite shows, but that's about mm-hmm. it. True. Now, I say we say all this to kind because of, I'm like looking for a point where I can segue into this other little piece of news <laughs> before we go on to our main review today. Um, surprisingly, Netflix took one of their Oscar-nominated films and made it available for everybody to watch on YouTube. Really? Which yes. one? The animated film Nimona. I heard about Nimona. It's wonderful. Um, our own Bill Gadavaskis in his serve in his new series called We Found It on Streaming wrote about it a few months back. Um, it kind of just snuck out onto Netflix. There wasn't a whole big to do about it at the time of its release. Um, I had heard about it through a friend, and then. In the course of all of my year-end watching for, you know, best of the year voting, I watched it, and I was entranced. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. The The setting that kind of combines a little bit of futuristic tech with magic um, in almost like a fairy tale setting was really inventive and interesting. Uh, the whole story was sweet and obviously had, you know, some good messages for kids and maybe adults too. And I really enjoyed it and I can see why it got nominated for the you know for the Academy Awards a couple of months later or a month or two after I'd seen it. And I think Netflix is just trying to get it out there maybe recognizing in retrospect, oops, we screwed up. We should have pushed this thing harder. It's it's a wonderful film and if you don't have Netflix, you can still watch it on YouTube. There might be commercials in it, I don't know, but um, it's on Netflix's main account. It's not like somebody put a bootleg up or anything. This is actually on Netflix's YouTube wow, account. Wow, that's so, impressive. Yeah. And it has to be paying off for Netflix in some way because just pulling it up right now, I see 2,033,000, almost 34,000 views. So that's pretty good for a movie that they've only had up for four days on YouTube. That's not bad. Nope. No. <laughs> so... People are searching it out, and that's good advertising for them. It hopefully helps people feel a little bit more invested in at least one of the races in the Academy Awards in a couple of weeks. And um, we'll see how that works. Speaking of awards, tonight's the SAG. That's right. Live on Netflix. Yep. (laughs) So, honestly, even though I have a friend who works at Netflix in uh, software engineering, we are not sponsored by Netflix. No, we are not. No. Although anytime they want to send some sweet, sweet Netflix money our way, I certainly wouldn't turn a blind eye. To uh, it. I would use it to make a lovely little film. Yes, exactly. <laughs> same same here. I think we could come up with a couple of uh, features for them. Anyways, or a TV series. So this is how we're going to transition to the fact that... Hey! <laughs> 
should... I see what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, the um the review of this week is the recently completed Disney Plus uh TV series of uh Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Ooh. This was recommended by you. You suggested this one. I did. I know. <laughs> Now, I had seen, of course, the two Percy Jackson films. I'm so sorry for you. They're fine. They're I, not good. I, they're they're okay. I say that as somebody who has not read any of the books, and I understand that Rick Riordan, the creator of the Percy Jackson what franchise now, because it's like mm. the main series, and then there's a couple of side series or something like that. I was trying to read it all on Wikipedia, and I was like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah, there's um, the Percy Jackson series, which is surrounding Greek gods. Uh, there's a Roman series that is the spinoff of it. Um, Percy and Annabeth do show up in that. Yeah. Um, but then he has his own other. He's got uh, Magnus. Uh, there's the Cain series that is, that's Egyptian gods. Magnus something. I can't remember his last name. That's Norse gods. <laughs> uh, but they're all kind of kept serious except for the Greek and Roman. They're mm -hmm. They're entwined. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like, "Wow, this the, it." It's a lot of world building mythos. In a way, it kind of reminded me a little bit of an, another series I have not really read all that much of, but you know, kind of understand how sprawling and weird it gets. The Tom Clancy novels. Yeah. Um, Jack Ryan is a character in a certain number of the mm -hmm. Tom Clancy novels, and then. Minor characters sometimes get their own novels that Tom Clancy shows up in as a minor character and stuff like that. It's very you mean as Jack Ryan? Uh, Jack shows Ryan, up, excuse yeah. me, yeah. And um, it's kind of very interconnected that way, and which I'm I, I think is interesting. And I you know me I love world building. It's it's their own kind of cinematic slash literary universe. It, it is approach, um, but when I was. A kid, and when I first discovered these books, um, that week I had the flu, <laughs> <laughs> and I had just purchased the first book the night before I got the flu. So I spent the entire day in bed reading *The Lightning Thief*, and I finished it. And I I rang the bell for my mother. <laughs> Did you live in an old Victorian mansion? <laughs> what? It was it, it's it's a nicer way of saying ma. Yeah, I know. Ma, I'm come on sick. Out. Yeah, I ma! know. I know. <laughs> to get her to come upstairs and, and and come to my room. And I was like, I, I need the next book. <laughs> and she goes, "Really?" I'm like, "I need I need the next book and I need it now." Every day. She went out for a week and bought me the next book each day because the previous day I had finished she the one from before. She could two or three in advance at once. <laughs> I think it gave her something else to do other than just sit at home and take care of me as well. Okay, that's so, fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, gave her a, I gave her a 20, 30-minute break. <laughs> Vacation out. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Um, okay, but now let me ask – I was hooked. Oh, okay. Let me ask you this. Had you read Harry Potter before or after this? Uh, before. Okay. Um, I appreciated uh, this just slightly more because – and I know it doesn't seem like it now. I've somehow grown out of most of the traits of it. As a kid, I had really bad ADHD. Um, books were actually – books and films were a way that I could also figure out how to slow down. And understand patience and understand discipline mm -hmm. um, and not become distracted by, ooh, shiny object. It was it was very much, you're going to sit here and you're going to finish this. You're going to finish something. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I really attached on to Percy and the rest of the demigods. They made me feel that whatever was going on with my brain could make me special. Because Percy in the books – has uh, dyslexia, right? Dyslexia and is ADHD. Oh, okay. So the ADHD comes to all the demigods as a way of being able to have uh, faster instincts and reflexes. It's part of their natural demigod power. Mm -hmm. And as for the dyslexia, it is because their brains are wired to be able to read ancient Greek, um, not English. 
Ah, okay. So it words just kind of all jumble up uh, when they're staring at it. Um, so yeah, it, it made me feel somewhat special, and it also taught me a lot about mythology. Mm-hmm. As a child, it is it is a great intro to mythology if you don't have bullfinches on hand. <laughs> See, I was the weirdo kid in junior high. I was going down to the library in school and checking bullfinches out. Oh, I, I did too. In fact, I have a copy. But if you don't know that that even exists at mm-hmm. that point and you need something to teach you a little bit of the history of mythology – Absolutely read the Percy Jackson all and the spin-off series. You will learn so much about the Greek gods, the the nymphs, the muses, everything. It is a master class in writing mythology. Mm-hmm. Um okay. Putting that aside though, putting mm-hmm. the setting you know, the setting aside, I'm gonna make some really gross, reductive generalities. Okay. And I want your honest opinion when I'm finished. Mm. Kid discovers he has a magical heritage, goes off to a school to cater to that magical heritage, and finds out about his true parentage and discovers that there is an ancient evil that's slowly coming back that he's going to have to ultimately face off against several books down the road. What franchise am I talking about? Well, when you put it like that, um. Harry Potter or. Percy Jackson. Depends. Uh, no, uh, I would say technically Harry Potter, but you said school. Okay. Well, Half Blood Camp feels like school to me. It, it's literally just a big summer camp. <laughs> um, but he's learning about his powers and his heritage there, right? Somewhat. Um, but can we talk about. This is the one part you missed about oh, okay, uh, okay. Percy one, Jackson. Okay. And well, which well, is why I had to say Harry Potter when you described it that okay. way. You didn't mention that the big bad is technically his uh his grandpa. Kronos is his grandfather. Yeah, I know. It, they they mentioned that at the end of uh, episode 8. Yeah. Here. So it's not just um a, any big bad it's a I, family drama well that's true <laughs> it's a big I, family like I said, though, I was being incredibly reductive about it though oh okay. and, and well you and could be also adding set... that family element just shades it in a different direction but you could also say the same thing about wednesday yeah yeah actually you probably could there are although, so although many... i don't feel i feel wednesday comes to a close at the end of its first season where if you don't get anything else, you're okay. It yeah. doesn't feel like, oh, here here's the setup for the big bad that we're going to face three more seasons down the road. But it's its own original property, so it can do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas Percy Jackson is based off books, as is Harry yeah. Potter. So well, they I'm just have saying, to do it that I'm way. just saying that you know, the Percy Jackson books do share some similar gross similarities with Harry Potter. And I think, though, Rick Reardon maybe does a better job, at least as far as what I see being adapted into television, does a better job with some of the ideas here than J.K. Rowling does from what we see in the adaptions of her books. I would definitely say, and here's the issue that I've always had with Percy Jackson and why those first two movies were fine, Lightning Thief is actually what got me started reading the books in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it in a double feature with the Wolfman. That's a story for another time. It was on Valentine's <laughs> Day, too. Uh- <laughs> what better way to say I love you than going to see people being ripped to shreds in Wolfman? <laughs> and then following it up with, hey, kid, demigod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was an interesting uh, day with my mom. I was she wanted to see Wolfman. I wanted to see Percy Jackson. I traded that's, one for the other. I'm like, okay, I'll go with you. Fine. You come with me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I the first movie is what got me hooked on it, and it was fine. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't mind Lightning Thief so much when we got to see a monsters. Oh my god, I was. The most pissed off consumer since Wrath of the Titans. Like, wow. I got really, really, like, pissy about that movie. 
Really? Well, here's the issue that I I have. Okay. And Percy is supposed to be like 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And he grows up. Every year is a book. Yeah. So by the time we get to Battle of Olympians, he's supposed to be 16. Now, I don't know if they figured out that they weren't going to be able to do the whole damn series when they did Sea of Monsters. It was kind of a bullshit fade, but they combined Sea of Monsters with some of the ending of Battle of the Olympians. There's a a whole prophecy that he receives in Battle of the Olympians that in the movie he got in Sea of Monsters. He He does have to face Kronos by the end of Sea of Monsters in the movie. He never fucking faced him in the book. <laughs> and it and the issue came from the fact that they cast the kids a lot older. They cast Percy Logan Lerman, who, who looks at the time 15 or 16 in mm-hmm. Lightning Thief. Um, by the time they got around to doing Sea of Monsters, he was probably 19. Yeah, there was a significant gap between those two movies. Yeah, which means if they continued on with the series, he was going to be twenty, probably twenty five by the time they finish it, and it then it no longer fits for the consumers of yeah young adult. It it's yeah you're too old now for that mm-hmm. demographic. Um, so I think they just decided, hey, we're gonna throw this all in here, try to finish it up, call it a day, and it backfired so bad on them. I mean, maybe that was the point. But um, I've always said that Harry Potter works as a film adaptation. Percy Jackson could not do film. Just like it's, – It's more suited to – It's suited for television. There's too many side quests. There's yeah. too many – Well, um, you know, that's something we – Big D&D campaign, as I said <laughs> earlier. Yeah, it's something like we were talking a little bit before we turned the microphones on because we were wasting good ideas – into the ether um, mm, yeah but i said i liked how it's episodic because that works for television because you can advance your overarching plot just a little bit each episode mm-hmm. but not to the point where if you miss an episode it's distracting you could miss one episode like somewhere between like three and six yeah and you're still gonna be okay You've just missed a little thing that sometimes affects the overall th- uh, plot. Sometimes it doesn't. But you'll be fine. And sometimes they'll refer back to it like, oh, the FBI is still looking for you, kids. And they're like, oh, I missed an episode. I should probably go back and catch that. But it doesn't affect overall what you're watching now. No. As opposed to, say, you're sitting there watching a ha- one of the Harry Potter films and somebody edit out a 40-minute chunk from the middle. Mm-hmm. Then you're screwed. Yeah, exactly. One of the big things I always kind of loved about the the Percy Jackson, you know, and I think that's the same with any YA adaptation, is you, you're going to have your bigger stars in supporting adult roles, and then you're going to have, like, newbies come up from the core cast. Mm-hmm. I do miss the idea of Stanley Tucci as Dionysus in the movies. And from one movie to the next, they went from Pierce Brosnan to Anthony Stewart Head as as uh, Charon, the mm-hmm. the centaur. Yes. And I was I, I love that. Sean Bean and, and Kevin McKidd. They had so many good characters. I will admit. Good ones here, too. I didn't have time to rewatch it all in full last night, but I started to watch, I think, maybe the first half hour of the the first Percy Jackson movie, The Lightning Thief, and Pierce Brosnan's hair before (laughs) you realize he's a centaur while he's, you know, still, you know, undercover as the school teacher. It's amazing you just look at it and go oh yeah he's the guy who's the horse isn't he because <laughs> it it's just like whoosh it flows out of his face and then off of his head yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> and you kind of look at it and go no school would ever allow a teacher no, to, no that's absolutely ridiculous i i quote that first movie with me learning the word omnipotence it came out of uh one of the scenes with kevin mckitt as poseidon and sean sean bean was a great zeus yeah he was he was so good that's like right there at the beginning 
right and, there at the and, beginning of the film. And movie. then at the end of the film, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Uma Thurman, no. Not a good Medusa. Um, Steve Coogan as Hades. It doesn't seem like it works, but they played him as kind of like rocker Hades, little Chris Angel in mm-hmm. there. Married to Rosario Dawson? You did well for yourself, dude. Yeah, well, <laughs> Steve Coogan, uh, I, I am a huge fan of his work. The more <laughs> I see of his stuff, even like one-off toss-off stuff that he's probably doing because it's a decent check, yeah. um, but it's not originating with him, he does something interesting, like in The Lightning Thief versus his ongoing Alan Partridge series is on BBC television, stuff like that. Yeah, Coogan's, Coogan's wonderful, but we're drifting away from our yes. point here. Yes. Um, it, but anyway, the, even with the TV show, you're still getting a lot of great talent in those supporting roles. Megan Mullally mm-hmm. as a harpy. Yes. He just shows up a couple times to play a harpy. Like, Megan Mullally, she's one of the funniest women I've ever seen on television. She's and she's just not delightful. using that voice, too, which no. is nice. She's using more of her regular voice. Well, I've heard her regular voice. She can sing. She's great comic. She's one of the most beautiful women, beautiful comics I've ever seen. And yet, here she is fucking terrifying. Absolutely. She's really terrifying. I mean, Jason Manzukis as Dionysius is, del- is wonderful. Delightful. Uh, I mean, he is kind of playing a variation on the usual Jason Manzukis character of yeah. kind of dimwitty, kind of loud, obnoxious. But it um, works here. Confident in his stupidity. <laughs> but it works here. It, yes, it, it has it a point. It, it's probably his best TV work since his guest starring role as I think it was Derek. Was the character's name on the good place? Mm-hmm. Um, I honest, um, Dionysus has always been a character that you don't really—not just a character. He's a god that you don't want to fuck with. He brings the fun, he brings the pleasure, and then if you happen to insult him just so much, he can turn your your greatest pleasures into your greatest hells. Um, so putting him in charge of kids, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe that's the point. He um, can actually give them something and then keep them in line. Um, in the book series, does Hermes have more of a role later on? Yes. Okay. Because Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda seemed like so a bigger good. get for that role than necessary for what happens in this first season. Luke plays such a pivotal role in what is to come Okay, that having... Uh, someone bigger for Hermes needed to be the case. Okay, Luke being one of Hermes' sons. Yes. Okay. Yeah, the one who stole the bolt. Yes. Um, Toby Stevens as Poseidon. Holy crap! I, really I good. love really Toby. Good. I've always loved Toby. Um, die another day being the rare exception. Uh, he's great in Black <laughs> Sails. I saw him. Back as far as one of the Sharps Rifles films. He mm. was the villain opposite Sean Bean. Uh, he's just fantastic. He comes from a great lineage. Maggie Smith is his mother. Well, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> and here, He'd have to work really hard to suck then, is yes, what you're saying. Yes. But, and, uh, well, again, die another day. <laughs> there are the exceptions to the rule here. Mm. Um here he is delivering such a great subtle performance that it's heartbreaking to see his he's one of the few gods who actually looks like being separated from his child is extremely painful to him every every other god just kind of looks at the kids like a, a tool mm-hmm. like i've created you to do my will and you will do it. And you will honor me. Whereas there... he looks at him like, you're my blood. I love you. Mm-hmm. I care for you. I want what's best for you. Thinking about it now, the idea that these gods are creating children as tools and not out of things where in like Greek mythology, you know, Zeus fell in love with a mortal. 
and they lain together in the meadows, and then Hera got pissed. Uh, you know, oh, that Hera kind of a gets thing. pissed. Well, Trust Hera, me. You yeah. will see that down the road in one yeah. of the. Oh, I'm sure. But the idea that it's far more calculated mm-hmm. that, well, I'm going to need a, a demigod, a half, you know, half blood, whatever, to, um, you know, do this thing to the my rival god here so i better go down and bang a mortal and you know create a and set my pieces in motion yeah that it it gets to a ickier level and Mm. kind of almost half rapey if you think about it too much maybe we shouldn't be thinking about it too much but uh it 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 is and it isn't Mm -hmm. um i kind of see the chess pieces on the board uh but at the exact same time there is a a strange connection as well between the parent and the child um like when you hear about how athena and annabeth's father were together and i think you see it in a couple of scenes in the tv series Mm -hmm. here with um poseidon and sally you know yeah percy's mom and I, th- you kind of look at it and go, yeah, I could see where there might have been a relationship, but at what point does he bail and make her a single mom? You know, there, there's more story there, and I think there's maybe a tragedy, you know, in, in this case at least, where he was like, I actually kind of care for this mortal, uh, but I, think they I always... can't be with her. There, there, there's, there's some under unwritten story material there yeah. versus say Hades just going up, you know, finding a somebody in a nightclub having a one night stand and impregnating her and going, okay, now I got a kid coming that I can use later on. Yeah. Well, uh, and that's what I meant with like Athena and uh, Annabeth's father. There mm-hmm. was talk that there was a relationship, but I think they know that all die except them, even mm-hmm. their children. So to kind of stay detached allows them to deal with the fact that they will one day lose them. I, I think they enjoy the life until they realize it's not forever. And I think that actually hurts them, which is why yeah. they go off. Yeah, And they have to start looking at their own children like, Mm-hmm. you know tools or pawns on the chessboard yes. because it's but, it's the only way that they can deal with the fact that yeah, they, they have will to lose create an emotional detachment mm-hmm. um it's a this great is, this story is, about children and, and estranged parents it really yeah, is yeah to circle back to the actual topic we're supposed to be discussing here the tv show itself um although yeah a lot of interesting thoughts generated by the setup and the material um here though i think this really works you know i was like oh it's only half an hour each episode and then i was like well that's fine the first two felt like it went really fast Mm -hmm. and then as it started finding its stride within the half hour episodes i was going okay this is what i've been waiting for i always felt that it fit a television uh, medium better and I was right. Yeah. Because this is incredibly faithful to the mm-hmm. books. Now, granted, I waited until the whole thing had run and you mm-hmm. suggested, it's like, well, okay, I guess I gotta find four hours or so to watch this. And, um, so, but even watching it, you know, in two chunks of like two hours each or so, it moves fairly well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't lag. It doesn't, I don't go, ugh. Another episode. Here we go. You know, there, it, <laughs> I, the half hour format, like you said, really works for it. Um, the kids are really good. The 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 kid playing Percy. Um, I can't remember his name. He was in uh, the Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm keeping my eye on him. He's gonna be big. Walker give, Scoble. Walker Scoble. Give him five years as he grows up, and once he leaves Percy Jackson, he's going to have his pick. He's really fucking good here. I mean, for a kid to show up in the Adam Project and basically play younger Ryan Reynolds (laughs) and be convincing, you know, (laughs) 
capturing a lot of Ryan Reynolds's mannerisms. I don't know how much they work together, but um, I remember the Adam Project being, wow, this is a, a Netflix movie that was actually kind of good that they had just kind of picked up because the whoever had it originally was like, yeah, I don't know about this. The, the Netflix was like, hey, we'll, you know, Netflix was in there. Ryan Reynolds does well for us on yeah. our streaming. So mm-hmm. Netflix we'll was in it. there. We'll throw money at anything phase. Mm. So it went well for them, I guess, there. Annabeth is also really good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, from a look standpoint, she does not look how she was written in the book. I don't care. I don't care. She that young actress that they got to play Annabeth is amazing. Has her mannerisms and her characteristics and her ideals down pat. Mm-hmm. You could tell that she knew exactly who that character was when she read the story. Mm-hmm. And um, Aaron Samadhi, uh, Samadri, excuse me, as Grover, I thought was really good. Especially He's fun. he doesn't get a whole lot of meaty stuff except His stuff comes except for the uh, medusa episode which i thought was sweet and then um when they're in vegas he gets some more dramatic stuff to work with and he does that well but he's kind of there as mostly a bit of a comic relief character and he's fun like you said he's fine too um, his stuff I, comes in later books yeah, and i appreciate yeah. that um even if he is kind of like the lighter, goofy friend character, mm-hmm. they still give him something meaty here. Yeah, it's he's not like on. <laughs> It's not like we're going to throw this at him in like book four or whatever. Uh, they, you know, they flesh that character out. Yeah, they're, they're setting up things because obviously the next one, Sea of Monsters, uh, is caused by Grover trying to find Pan. And he mm-hmm. ends up in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's, yeah, his, his stuff comes in later Mm -hmm. books. There is really only one thing here that they didn't address. And I'm like, and it, and the way the, the way things end with Percy back with his mom makes me wonder if they filmed something and then it got cut or if they just plain forgot. Is the FBI still looking for them after uh, St. Louis? I think uh, they don't mention it in the in the show at all. I think maybe the gods showed yeah. their favor. A oh, little. I'm sure you know they did. You know, a little bit of magic, jiggery pokery, and um, you know, fixed things so everybody forgot about the big giant hole that they blew in the, in the middle in of the Louis, arch. Yeah. Um, which, oh, by the way. I see people always complaining about, oh, bad special effects, overuse of the volume and Disney Plus and other TV shows now. And yeah, there's some bad use of the volume here, or at least highly distracting use of the volume. Uh, But there's one shot, not the shot looking down through the hole at Percy as his fingers slip and he he drops out of the arch, Mm. but that point of view shot where... Everything flips around and, yeah. until you see, like, the water spout coming up to catch him. That was really good. Yeah, it was there really was one, good. I was like, holy crap, did they shoot this with a, a drone that was, you know, spinning or what? This is great. It looked really good. And maybe a really good special effects shot shouldn't stand out like that. But I just thought the uh, the conception of it, you know, how, how it looked and everything was just – It was pulled well, off. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. I have uh, two things I'd like to bring up. Okay. Before we, we sign up. Um, two questions for you. Fire away. One. Mm-hmm. Lance. Man, that that he was wonderful as Zeus. And the dedication at the end kind of got me. And, I, I, I and, cried. Yeah. I, I choked up and getting a little bit of goose flesh right now thinking about it again um it's a shame you know obviously any death is a tragedy and um when it's somebody who's talented and was bringing uh he has such such, gravitas he he was bringing such yeah as you say gravitas such joy to people watching you know that work and um 
that's part of the tragedy of death is the loss of all of that. How the show goes on, you know, from here, we'll see. I can't even picture anyone else that I could see them recasting with. I mean, I'm sure there are there are options, and I just mm-hmm. haven't even thought of them yet. Mm-hmm. But the way he plays, how the great, yeah. late great Lance Reddick played Zeus mm-hmm. was stoic. Does Zeus come on stage in the second book? Not in the second, but he does show up a couple times over the, the following. Okay. Books. Well, oh, they, they, all do. they have some... They have some time to yeah. but, figure that out. But finding stoic actors mm-hmm. are a lot dif- more difficult now because stoic acting has kind of died out. It is it is very much a um, like for example, I would I would crown Russell Crowe the last great stoic actor. <laughs> I you look at his work in Gladiator. He doesn't say a lot. But when no, he speaks, no. people listen for a reason. Well, I think in the original screenplay, there, Russell Crowe's character had a lot more dialogue, and he and Ridley Scott just said, "Now nah, let's dial this back." Yeah, and that creates that import, but, that presence that Russell Crowe, that Lance Reddick had. Um, Lance was very good at it. You look mm-hmm. at him as <laughs> Charon in uh, <laughs> John Wick. Yeah, he does not say a lot. But he has but that presence. Yeah, you can't take your eyes off of him. Uh-huh. You know, so. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah. he's wonderful. I, I I, don't think there's a miscasting at all in this whole thing. Oh, God, and, no. And when you have a range of acting styles from Lance Reddick to Jason Mantoukas, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's face it. I Lee think Manuel Miranda didn't break into song. Uh, no, he did. When? When? At – at the end of uh, the one episode when they mail uh, Medusa's head to Mount Olympus yeah. and you see him in the Hermes Express, he gets in the elevator in the Empire State Building. The Muzak is playing Christopher Cross's uh, theme from Arthur. Mm-hmm. When you get caught between the moon and New York City. He was singing along with that. Just a little bit under his I don't count that. (laughs) I don't count that. Honest though, Lin-Manuel. I'm going to be pedantic and say yes. Fine. Uh, He's been impressing me with his his dramatic stuff. Like, I cannot talk enough about his work on uh, his Dark Materials. Him and Ruth Wilson and that were – that was some of the greatest work Mm -hmm. I've ever seen from those two actors. Uh, Um, I'd like to see him do some – original work not just kind of showing up in in adapt young adult adaptations i see the appeal of having him in there because of the youth appeal of um you know his other work Mm -hmm. but i'd like to see him you know just do something acting wise well what i saw from him in his dark materials shows he can do it oh yeah yeah. some of that stuff went to really dark places Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Um, okay. But now my biggest question. I was going to say, what's your second question? We talked about this off mic right before we hopped on <laughs> and we had to stop ourselves. Yes. Because we're like, we got to save it. Final book. Yes. Ba- the Battle of Olympus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, spoilers. Yes. <laughs> I guess going if in. If you have not read the books, stop right now because I'm getting into some deep, dark spoiler territory here. About where the show could potentially go in five more seasons. Yes. So um, thank you for tuning in. If you have not seen it or uh, if you've not read the books. And you um, want to remain unspoiled. And, or you, and yeah, you want or, to remain. Or you don't think you're going to forget this conversation in about the six or seven years if they go all five seasons that yeah. it will take to make that. I mean, and if you're relatively sure that your whatever the hell memory you is do. terrible, you're going to – like you? Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> Anyways, let's get on with yes, it here. Yes, <laughs> sir. Um, so, Battle of Olympus. My mm-hmm. favorite book, actually. Uh, it's one big war. It's the Battle of the Five Armies of, of Percy Jackson. There are no side quests. It is one big, massive battle. And 
how the hell are they going to do that for television? Because here's the thing. When I say battle, I I don't mean, oh, it's you're going to have some lead up and lead up and lead up. And then the battle is going to be in the last two episodes. They can't do that. It starts. The prep work starts in like the the first couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. They create a mass exodus of the mortals. They get them off the island of Manhattan. Try to imagine that evacuation plan. <laughs> and then Cab Half-Blood shuts down the bridges and the tunnels. That's where they they start to, to set up their perimeters of all the monsters and gods that Kronos has brought Kronos, their grandfather, the great Titan, uh, father of Zeus and Poseidon and Hades, who's locked up in Tartarus, gets loose. All of the gods and monsters he's brought over to his side are marching on Manhattan. It turns out into this mass war all over the freaking city. And they make their final stand at the Empire State Building to protect Olympus, which is obviously on the top of the Empire State mm-hmm. Building. Um, so how do you do that in eight episodes, is what you're saying? One, how do you do that in eight episodes? And do they have the balls to actually kill kids? Because you can't show this stuff off screen or they get hit by a zap coming from a wand. These char- these actors are carrying swords, spears, javelins, arrows. It is a brutal battle. Well... I think, and I'm going to go back to um, my Harry Potter parallel here, the the Potter books and movies kind of had a maturity to them, mm-hmm. a maturation process to yeah. them, where, you know, the first one or two were like, ah, da, 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 da. and then once you started, you know, you bring in um, Alfonso Cuaron to, to direct your third movie and you know, start shooting that franchise down a bit of a darker path that it's ultimately going to take and end, you know, with um, you know, a big a big shootout at a school. It was um, a big shootout, but, but they and, they and get they, away they with hit, it because they don't show they, blood. They hit a lot of deaths too. They hit a lot of deaths. They hit a lot of deaths. But they they do it in such a peaceful manner because it's not brutal. There is no blood. Mm-hmm. Even the first Hunger Games but, movie was uh, was hesitant to really get into that era they used a lot of shaky cam um to try to cover up a lot of the deaths that happened at the cornucopia but the idea that kids are dying rather gruesomely is Mm -hmm. still ingrained in the material and it and it still shows in the um in the final products of the adaptations Mm -hmm. they could do something similar here and hide some of the um, the violence, you know, see like somebody, you know, a close up of somebody as they're getting, you know, stabbed in the stomach below frame. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, and they fall out or whatever. There's ways you can shoot around that. Um, I would be maybe a little disappointed if they kind of backed away from the ideas inherent there up to a certain point. But like the Harry Potter things, uh, I have a feeling that these uh, television series, as we go season by season, and it was just renewed this month for season two, mm-hmm. uh, which is partially why we're talking about it now. Um, I have a feeling that they're going to have that same maturation process as Percy gets older. Things are going to get a little darker in the show. Um, I think maybe by like what. Battle of Olympus happens in what? Book five, is it? Five, yeah. Okay. By, say, you know, season three. Titan's at Curse. Yes. Yeah, at the end of season three, we're probably going to look back and go, oh, <laughs> whoa, those were the hazy, crazy, lazy days of summer. Yeah. This is, uh, you know. It's you know, completely this is, different. We're, we're rapidly moving towards winter here. <laughs> you know, kind yeah. of an idea. Winter is coming. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> okay, I guess. To- <laughs> I had to. Also, not a kid's book series. No, no. <laughs> um, I found that out at the end of the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, um, there's, now there's a, a series that didn't shy away from murder and children <laughs> right on screen. <laughs> Here you go, kids. Um, well, we're going to follow pushing a kid out a window uh, after a little bit of incest. Wee. But uh, no, here. Love and death, all in one. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. Anyways, this kind but, of fell off the rails fast. Yeah. But getting back to this, I think you know we're gonna see that kind of darkening or match and maturing of the um of the material as we get towards season five, where and even even as a viewer, say you're a kid coming into this series. You know, it's already made, you know, you're at an age where four seasons already exist and you sit down with your mom and dad and you start watching season one. Mm. I think you're going the, – the show, if it does its work well, will raise that kid up to the point where they get to something like that and they'll be like, oh, this – you know, I understand that these stakes are important because the show did a good job of showing me – how those stakes kept getting raised and raised and raised, even in the very first. Those stakes are bigger than anything yeah, of Harry even Potter's. Even the very too. first, this um, is the whole world they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even in the very first episode of this, or the first second episode, once he gets to the camp, we get that whole story about um, uh, Thalia, who you know basically gave up her life to protect her friends and be- was transformed into a tree. Um, I, I think that. Is like that very first step on that on a long path of getting a viewer slash reader ready for the fact that things are not going to go well for everybody. By the everybody doesn't get a happy ending in this in this franchise, and I like that idea um, because it feels more organic. It feels more real. Um, happy endings only last so long, anyways. Um, but happy endings are just stories that haven't finished yet. Yes, our happy endings are stories we ducked out of too early. Yeah. Um, but um, but so so how did they do the it in exact... eight episodes? Percy, that... Percy and Annabeth, unlike Harry and Ron and Hermione, who you know, while the battle's happening, we have to go find Horcruxes and destroy mm-hmm. them. Can you d- stall? They're unlike that. Percy and Annabeth are leading the army. Honestly, without having read the book to say, oh, well, obviously your episode break is here, 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 and here. I couldn't tell you. There's probably ways to find if you chart the story, like smaller climaxes that lead to bigger climaxes. Um, You get to a certain point in the story and such and such a character dies. And that affects everybody, and that's where you decide that's going to be the end of episode five or six or whatever. Um, again, I haven't read the books, so I couldn't you know, break it down. There's probably ways to do it. As long as Rick Reardon stays involved with the series like he has with this first episode – or first season where he wrote three – or wrote or co-wrote three of the eight episodes. Including changing a lot of the story of mm-hmm. Medusa in yeah. this in Yes, this he, he was he was showrunner on this. So ultimately, you know, he kind of has the <laughs> – the, he's the best person to adapt his own material alongside another writer and who can probably give him a little bit of guidance in terms of TV-isms. Mm-hmm. I have faith. I'm I'm in for the long haul on this as long oh. as Disney Plus is. Um, I probably it be like Harry Potter. I'll probably never go read the books, but I'll at least enjoy the adaptations for what they are. Um, Rick Reardon certainly seems to be a much better human being than uh, J.K. Rowling, and so maybe I will read the books. Um, <laughs> so it it'll be interesting to see how how going forward the show does. Um, hopefully. Maybe next year at this time we'll be talking about season two, um, depending how quickly that ge- that gets into production. And um, I'm enjoying it all. Yay! And I would this is something I would recommend um, highly, especially if you have a kid who likes uh, fantasy and um, you want them to get something that might actually be, if not directly educational in terms of about the Greek gods, it might kind of push them into exploring uh, the actual Greek god mythology as it developed in ancient Greek. And that might lead to them learning a little bit of history as well. And that's not so bad. And it also will make them feel special, if, particularly if they're coming from a, you know, a a household where there may only be one parent mm-hmm. or, or if separated. Or they're struggling or, with something like yeah. uh, dyslexia, dyslexia or, or ADHD. ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, <laughs> jinx. Yeah. <laughs> but I, no, that's it's it oh, really yeah, will make them feel special and part of another world mm-hmm. for all the things that they probably see as flaws about themselves. It's a perfect amount of strength and love and finding your place. Yeah. And I think um on that note though, we will wrap it up for this week. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Season one can be found on Disney Plus, and season two was just announced as being uh, ordered uh, just within the last couple of weeks. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review. We are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So if you if you like what you're hearing, go and do that. <laughs> we'll be back next week with our review, finally, of the widely anticipated Dune. Part two. Oh boy. It's... Get those popcorn buckets <laughs> ready as I'm staring at yours. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>